0: Uh, my name is James. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, and I realize that's that's probably quite a few of you in this season, um, and so again, uh, so good uh, to be with you today. Such a privilege. Uh, we're gonna dive right into First Peter chapter one today. Uh, so grab your Bible if you have one available with you. Uh, we've got a lot uh, a lot to cover today. A lot of ground to cover. Um, if you've been around for the last month or so. Uh, you know that we recently kicked off a sermon series working through uh, the letter of First Peter. This incredible letter that was written uh, by the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus and one of the closest friends uh, of Jesus. Uh, and we know, we, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we know that Peter was writing uh, to some, some scattered believers Okay, to, to Gentile Christians who are experiencing hostility and persecution from all around them. And so Peter's purpose uh, in writing this letter uh, was to encourage and to help them, and of course to help us to know how to stand firm for Jesus and the gospel by reminding them of who God is and all that he is for us, uh, in Jesus, you see, we we all face trials of many kinds. But even though we we go through so many valley seasons, so so much difficulty and heartache, right? Peter writes in an attempt to anchor us in what is most solid and most important. And how does he do that? Well, over the last few weeks, we've we've seen this by telling us right from the beginning. To focus on your salvation, to focus on your salvation on our salvation, to, to praise God, to bless God uh, that we 've been made new, yes, again, we, we face disappointments, yes, life is full of trouble, right we all experience it, but through it all, Peter tells us to, to keep looking to Jesus to keep looking to the salvation of our souls. No matter what, we bless God, we honor God, and exalt him for our salvation, for causing us to be born again to a living hope. Well, uh, that brings us today to verses 10 through 12. Uh, We've gone, this is week four now in this series, we've made it through 12 verses, right? We haven't moved too quickly, but... Um, I promise after this week, we'll start to pick up a little bit more steam and get through a little bit larger chunks uh, chunks of of the text, but today we're only going to be in verses 10 through 12. Um, Actually, if if you've ever read these verses before, um, I think it's actually pretty easy to just pass over them and and to not really see them as, um, I'll say, as very deep or very rich. Rich. Uh, but what I hope to show you today is, is there's actually a lot of amazing truth here in these short three verses, because what Peter is is doing here in these verses is encouraging us by giving us a, a bit of a different view of our salvation. In the past, and we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, he's given us some some specific theology for our salvation, right? But here, uh, we're going to see Peter present us with more of a a historical view of our salvation. And in doing so, Peter is going to point out our privileged place in God's unfolding story. He's going to tell us, look, uh, when everything has gone wrong in your life, uh, when nothing is the way that you'd prefer Look at the blessing of your salvation, but not just through the lens of your own personal perspective, but take from the perspective of others. Look at history. Look at God's overarching story of salvation. And so let's read this text together uh, this morning, and then hopefully we can break it down and and simplify this uh, for you. So Peter says this. Read it along with me. He says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. Uh, Definitely a bit of a run-on sentence there. (laughs) Um, But what we know is, uh, again, this is all about our salvation. And essentially what we see Peter doing here is talking to us about the greatness of our salvation through what I'll say are four uh, other means, or four different means. That in a sense, what we see Peter saying to us here is something like this. I could, I could paraphrase it. I'm um, like, get outside of yourself and look at your salvation through the perspective of the Old Testament prophets through the perspective of the Holy Spirit himself, through the perspective of the New Testament apostles, and through the perspective of God's holy angels. Because all of them were consumed, consumed, we'll say obsessed, with the subject of salvation. All of them are captivated by the gospel. And so let's take the time to go through each of these, and hopefully in the end, we too will be encouraged to be captivated by the greatness of our salvation and the gospel, regardless of what we go through in this life. And so here's the the first point for us today. We're trying to answer this question. Why should we be captivated by our salvation? That's the big question for us today. Why should we be captivated, amazed by, drawn to our salvation? And we see this here in Peter's text number 1 because it is the focus of the prophet's study. It is the focus of the prophet's study. Look again at verse 10 with me, verse 10. Peter says this, concerning this salvation, in other words, concerning what what God has done in Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ, which he's talked about in the first nine verses before this. And then he points to the history of this salvation. He says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time. And we'll pause there. We'll stop at that point. So what we, we see here is the first uh, testimony to the surpassing value of salvation. Right? And where does it come from? It comes from the Old Testament prophets. And Peter says, what did they do? They diligently studied to know everything about what they wrote. Why? Because they couldn't fully understand all that they were writing. See, the prophets of old, they knew they were writing about salvation. They knew as well that salvation was of the uttermost importance. Salvation was everything to them. And so what did they do? They they studied their writings long and hard to figure out what person, what time, and when their salvation would come. And who are these prophets that we're talking about here? And even more than that, what does Peter mean uh, that they prophesied? Well, uh, simply put, uh, prophets in the Old Testament, okay, we know, uh, are, are individuals who spoke as messengers on God's behalf to God's people. They were people who, who spoke. Uh, who predicted, who revealed, or you could say who uncovered the things of God and the things of Jesus, even sometimes well in advance. And they did that. They knew all these things, Peter says, by the Spirit of Christ, or more commonly, we know him as the Holy Spirit. They did this by the Holy Spirit. Peter actually tells us this again in his next letter. It's actually 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter writes this about prophecy. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the what? By the Holy Spirit. There it is again. And so again, these are people who, who received divine revelation from God, divine revelation from the Holy Spirit. And so what they what they spoke, what they wrote, it was not their words. It wasn't their thoughts. It wasn't their ideas. It was heavenly inspiration. And in the context here, we know Peter is talking about specifically the Old Testament prophets And so in that, we could say, um, all the way from from Moses, who wrote the first five books um, of our Bible, or the Old Testament, all the way to to Malachi, who wrote what's been placed uh, as the last book of the Old Testament scriptures. From Moses to Malachi, that's who we're referring to here. And about all these prophets, our text says that they wrote divinely inspired words, right, the Old Testament, that focused on what? On, that focused on the subject of salvation and the coming Savior. On salvation and the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. And so these individuals, um, in writing these things, let's not be mistaken here, they understood the importance of salvation. They understood what it was and their place in it, they understood the fall the corruption of man, the judgment of God. And they knew personally and as a nation, the nation of Israel, that they needed to be rescued. They knew they needed redemption. And at the same time, they knew that God was a saving God, that he was a gracious God, and that redemption was in the heart of God So that one day he would provide for his people a redeemer. That's why Peter says that they were writing about the grace that would come to you. He says they're writing about the grace that was to be yours. So these prophets, they knew we all needed salvation. And they also knew that it had to be done by grace. They knew that since the third chapter of Genesis, specifically verse 15, first book of the scriptures, that someone someday would come to crush our enemies' head to save us. They saw a picture of God's provision when God killed an animal to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. They saw a picture of a sacrificial substitute when God provided for Abraham on Mount Moriah so that he didn't have to kill his own son. We know also they participated and observed the substitutionary sacrificial system when they, uh, when they built the temple and they offered all of those different yearly sacrifices. The prophets knew. They knew. They wrote that, that Abraham was justified by faith, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, not by his works, not by anything he had done, but by grace, because God was a God of grace. Remember, even Jonah, when he arrives at, at Nineveh, he didn't want to go. Remember, he, he flees, but then eventually, God sovereignly brings him to Nineveh through a whale and a, and a storm. He gets to Nineveh, and what happens? The people repent. And and Jonah is upset, actually, at that. He doesn't like the Ninevites. He's upset about their repentance, which is sort of ironic. But why? Because he says, he's, he's pointing at God. He's upset at God. He says, I knew, God, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were a God of grace. I knew you would do this, he says. So these Old Testament prophets, they knew about salvation, and they wrote about salvation. And they also, again, they knew there was going to be one who would provide that salvation to them. And what did they know specifically about that Savior? Well, first of all, according to Peter in verse 11, they knew, they knew that the Messiah would suffer and also be glorified. And we'll continue to talk about that through the rest of this message. But they knew that at least. They knew that he would suffer and, have, and then be glorified. They could see that. They prophesied that. For example, in Psalm 22, we see that through that psalm, it describes actually the details of the Messiah's death and his crucifixion. Or in Isaiah 53, which again clearly shows that the Messiah would come, but also that he would suffer and he would die. These prophets, they prophesied and promised a Messiah would come and that Messiah would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. They said that he would be rejected by his own people, that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver that he would be crucified for the sins of God's people. The Old Testament prophets said that this Messiah who was coming, they prophesied, predicted this, that he would die between two thieves. That lots would be cast for his clothes. That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And that ultimately he would be resurrected and exalted in heaven They knew that this Messiah who was coming, this Redeemer, that he would be mighty to save. They knew he would be one who could deliver his people by his own death. I can keep going. (laughs) They knew that this coming Messiah, that he would be a prophet who spoke the truth. Absolutely. He spoke, he would speak the truth of God. But more than that, he would also be the truth. They also prophesied that he would be a priest, a great priest, who wouldn't make offerings like the priests before him, but who would give the final sacrifice to fully and finally reconcile God's people to himself forever. And these prophets, they predicted hundreds of years before, that the coming Savior would be an eternal king with an everlasting kingdom. On and on and on these go. And I want us to just just stop, uh, just for a minute, to, to pause and to think about all of this. Think about how much is written, how much these Writers of the Old Testament, these prophets, how much they knew and prophesied about the coming Messiah, and how every single one of these predictions and promises have thus far come to pass. It's just incredible how consistent and accurate the Bible is. Even sharing these things, writing these things that would happen. Five hundred, sometimes a thousand years before they even actually happen, right? There's no other book that does this. There's nothing out there like the Bible. There's no other religion like Christianity in this way. It's not even close. So these these prophets again, they they wrote about salvation, and they wrote about the one who would save. They predicted it. And then look at the end of verse 10. We've already read this, but let's focus in on this one more time. It says that they did what? They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, what person or time that they were writing about. In other words, Peter says that they did a very careful search. I won't spend too much more time here, but what I do need to say is that these are very strong and very intense words used here by Peter. Because what Peter wants to convey to us is an intensity with which the, the Old Testament prophets studied. They were actually, uh, again, you could say totally captivated by the subject of salvation. They couldn't get enough of it. That's what Peter's trying to relay to us here. And so this should be our heart and attitude towards our salvation as well. That we just can't get enough of it. That we keep aiming to, to grow in our understanding of our salvation that we search and and we process and we meditate on it because that's what the Old Testament prophets were doing as well. And please understand, this was not academic study for the sake of information. It was more like a, a passionate searching and learning for the sake of praise, exaltation, encouragement, and hope. And that's the same reason that we, that you and I, should be captivated by God's salvation as well. And honestly, how much more than even them, right? How much more captivated should we be by our salvation than even the Old Testament prophets? Because let's remember, right, that these Old Testament prophets of old, right, They didn't even have the full revelation that we have, right? Sure, they believed the promises of God. We know that, right? They had deep faith. You can read about that through the Old Testament scriptures and actually Hebrews 11. They had deep faith. But we also know that the Old Testament prophets died before the promise of their Savior was fulfilled, but not so for us. We get to know the promise. We get to know the promise. Which means that we get to know personally, we get to know salvation. What a privilege. What a privilege. So, so Peter starts there. He says, focus on your salvation. Make it the obsession of your life. Make the greatness of And glory of your salvation, the focus of your life. Why? Uh, Because it was the focus of the prophet's study. He begins there. Well, we move on to our, our second point, our second of four. Second, why should we be captivated by our salvation? Peter tells us because it's the focus of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Because it's the focus of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. I believe we see this really clearly in verse 11. That salvation actually was important to the prophets because it was important to the Holy Spirit who inspired them. Okay? It says here that the Spirit of Christ in them, in the prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so, these prophecies, this foretelling, the truth of what the prophets wrote, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Holy Spirit's revelation. And again, we've already sort of laid out that the scriptures are um, in totality. They are a story from beginning to end of salvation. The Bible is a book about salvation, And so that's, again, what the prophets wrote about. They wrote about salvation, and they wrote about the Savior. The entire Bible, it's a story that goes from corruption to salvation, from fall to eternal glory. And this story, this thread of salvation that weaves itself all throughout the Scriptures— Peter says, was given, passed down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 11 says, that the prophets predicted the grace that would come because the Holy Spirit within them was was indicating it or communicating the sufferings and glories of Christ. Again, it's the Holy Spirit who revealed all of this. Let me try to explain it further or, or just add on to this. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. I know it's going to be on the screen, um, but I really think it's worth your time to turn there with me if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 24. We know in this, in this chapter, um, it, it's right here where, where Jesus, after he has risen from the dead, he meets some of his followers on the road to Emmaus. And what we, we read here is that there's some of these followers, disciples, and, and, and we find them heartbroken because Jesus has died, and they didn't know that he was uh, going to rise from the dead or that he already had risen from the dead. But also, they're, they're down, they're heartbroken, because they apparently didn't understand That the Messiah had to suffer and die. And so when Jesus encounters them, again, they're down, they're defeated. And then it says this in verse 25 Luke 24, verse 25. It says this And he, that's Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, what? Listen, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And where did Moses and all the prophets get the scriptures? Again, Peter told us by being carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's where it's from. It's inspired by the Spirit. And Peter, I'm sorry, and and Paul, the Apostle Paul, echoes this as well when he says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's what? It's spirit-breathed, God-breathed. So again, it's the spirit within them indicating the the predictions about the suffering and the glory of the Messiah. And Jesus affirms that as well. And so perhaps we can say it this way. uh, The the concern and, and the care of the Old Testament prophets with the salvation of God is because the Holy Spirit is concerned and cares about that same glorious salvation that comes from God. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Peter says in verse 12, brings the message and reveals God's amazing plan of redemption, reveals the good news. And so we can rightly say that the message of salvation is the Holy Spirit's message. The message of salvation is the Holy Spirit's message. We should be captivated by God's redemptive story because it was at the heart of the prophets' mind. It was the heart of their message. And also because this message comes directly from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. The prophets wrote about it. They wrote about the salvation. And the Spirit revealed it. Let's move on. Number three. Number three. Uh, why should we be captivated by our salvation? Number three, because it's the focus of the apostles' teaching. Because our salvation is the focus of the apostles' teaching. It was the center, you could say, of the apostles' preaching, all their teaching. So again, we, we've seen that the prophets of the Old Testament. They wrote on and they studied God's salvific plan. And then Peter says that the apostles preached God's salvific plan. Let's go back to verse 12. Peter wrote this. He says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. You there. Peter's writing again to the believers who've been scattered. These Gentile Christians. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so Peter takes us to the apostles here. How do I know that? How can we know that? Well, because it was the apostles, the New Testament apostles, who preached the gospel to these now persecuted and scattered believers. And what did they preach? What was their message? Well, we see there, Peter calls it the good news. The good news. And so what is that? Well, what does that mean? It means that they preached Christ crucified and Christ risen. It means that they preach the fulfillment of the suffering and glory of the Messiah in Jesus Christ. It means that they preach that we are born again to a living hope through faith because of God's mercy. It means that they preach that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. It means that they they went around and taught and preached that, While we were yet still sinners, dead in our sin, hopeless, helpless, Jesus died to give us life. And they taught that this salvation, not only is it free, but it's also being kept for us. That it's pure, it's guaranteed, and that it never fades away. That's why Peter calls this good news. This is what the apostles preached, and it's actually all they preached. It's, it's their, this was their message, and it's the only message. They preached the gospel and the gospel alone. It was everything to them, to the, to, to, to the degree that the apostle Paul actually says this. He says, for I decided to know nothing. Do you hear that? Listen to that again. For I decided, the Apostle Paul, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Why would he say that? Well, he tells us because because that message, that Jesus, what he did, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So these, these leaders, these teachers, apostles, they were consumed with the gospel, and they gave their lives to preach the gospel. Most of them actually died for this message, died for the gospel. And we know Peter, who, who writes these words, as well as, as the other apostles, they understood the fulfillment of God's plan because they were actually there for the plan. They witnessed all these prophecies coming to pass before their very eyes in the person of Jesus Christ. They witnessed firsthand the suffering of Jesus and the glory of Jesus. And so they preached that message. They, They preached the gospel and the gospel alone and so for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we know we have a glorious salvation. The prophets predicted it and studied it. The Holy Spirit uncovered it, unveiled it, and the apostles preached it. Salvation through Jesus is the message from beginning to end. And So we should be captivated by it, And then finally, uh, we'll close our time together this morning here. Why should we be captivated by our salvation? Number four, because it is the focus of the angel's longing. Because it is the focus of the angel's longing. Look at this amazing statement at the end of verse 12. We'll read a little bit before it just to put it in context. Peter again, he said, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. And what are those things? Well, again, taking this in context, these are the things concerning the suffering and glory of the Messiah. So once again, Peter's talking about salvation here. That according to Peter, even the angels long to, to look into matters of salvation. They're concerned with salvation. And think about this with me right because i think we can we could certainly relate to this we know that that the old testament prophets they could understand salvation in a way that the angels couldn't understand it because they were sinful and they were in need of saving Similarly, we know that the apostles could understand salvation in a way that the angels could never understand because they're sinners as well and they needed saving too. But the holy angels, they long to look. They long to know. They long to understand this salvation and why Well, because we know that their ultimate focus, the focus, the the purpose, the God-given purpose of God's holy angels forever is to glorify God and to exalt his name. And apparently, what sort of Peter's alluding to here, not in a negative way, but what he's saying here is that apparently these, these angels actually feel a little bit, Cheated. They feel a little bit cheated because they know that there is this massive, redemptive work and story that God has put in place. So massive is this, this narrative, this story of salvation that God literally created a universe to accomplish it. But they, the angels, can't personally experience it. And so they long to know more. They have a passion for it, a desire. And that word, look, the things into which angels long to look, that word, look, there, it's interesting. It literally means to to stretch out your neck and to bend down. It's very intentional. Stretch out your neck and to bend down. And so the picture that, that Peter gives us here about these angelic beings is that they're stooping low, that they're, they're actually peering down from the heavenlies, looking through the course of human history, trying to comprehend and take in the fullness of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. And let's be clear here. It's not that the, that the angels are totally unaware of what God is doing or what he's done, right? That's not what Peter is saying here, right? Because we know that angels have actually been used and involved in God's plan of salvation, right? After all, it was the angels who, who guarded the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned right from the beginning, It was angels who announced and declared that the Messiah is coming, and he's arrived. It's the angels who who ministered to Jesus at his temptation and saw him prevail. He was victorious through it. It was an angel who sat at the empty tomb and declared to the women who arrived, He is not here. He is risen. It was angels who were there at Jesus' ascension when he returned back to be with the Father in heaven. And so these angels, these holy angels, they have been aware. And they have participate, participated in the plan. But again, they can, can never be fully aware of what the glories of salvation are Because they don't experience salvation. This is Peter's point. They can't. Listen. But we can. That's what Peter wants us to know. That we have a a privilege. A privilege that is even beyond the angels. We get to experience being born again the salvation of our souls. We get to experience being made new, the renewing of our minds. We get to experience it. And in a a unique and profound way, we get to intimately know Jesus, unlike both the prophets of old and God's heavenly angels. So what a glorious salvation. And what an encouragement to you and I. Peter is saying, do you know how privileged you and I are? That we are not just looking down, peering over at God's plan and story of redemption. But we are actually living in it. We are actually participating in it. And so even though you may suffer here and now as exiles, as sojourners, please know that we are far more privileged in the span of redemptive history than we could ever imagine. The Old Testament prophets predicted salvation. The apostles preached salvation. The angels longed to understand salvation the Holy Spirit has unveiled and covered this salvation from the beginning to the end. And now we, you and I, get to participate in this glorious salvation. You and I, we are invited into history. We're invited into the story of God in Jesus and because God's story, because Jesus' story is one of hope, our stories can now be ones of hope. Because his story of one, is one of grace, our stories can now be full of grace. Because his story is marked by love, our lives can now be marked by love. Because his story is, is centered and rooted in redemption, now our stories and lives can be centered on and rooted on and in redemption as well. So church family, amidst all the trials, the tribulations, your struggles, pain, all the heartache we face, let me encourage you to remember, remember this morning and forever, remember that we are part of the great redemptive story of God. A story that has been put into motion since the beginning of this world. And I think grasping this helps because it, it puts our current struggles in their proper place. And so, as people who have been redeemed by God, let's focus, let's focus on the glory of our salvation. Let's be captivated by the beauty of it, regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance. Again, the Old Testament prophets, they deeply contemplated this salvation. The Holy Spirit unveiled the salvation message. The apostles taught it. The holy angels longed to know it. And by faith in Jesus, by faith in Jesus alone, you can experience this salvation. And so let's receive Jesus. Let's trust him. Let's praise him for what he has done. And let's give our lives to know and live out God's incredible gift of salvation. Can I pray for you?